Alright, so the raspy voiced man on the tape told me not to stick my hand into this hole. Hmm. I got it! I have to put my face in it! Hello, and welcome everyone to part two of Saw Timber. You're listening to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, and boy do we have a show for you today. Last week, we revisited Saw 1, Saw 2, and Saw 3. So naturally, today, we will pick up where we left off and cover Saws 4, 5, and 6. Now before we get to Saw 4, I want to take a minute to thank everyone once again for the kind words and feedback over last week's episode. I got a huge number of people who complimented the idea of doing a Saw Timber Marathon, and I am so incredibly happy and thrilled that you guys are enjoying this. Huge shout-outs to Rick, Phil, Francine, and others for the likes, comments, and uh, questions going into this movie. I appreciate each and every one of you guys, and y'all keep me motivated to come back each and every week. So thank you once again, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode today. Now that the summer is officially winding down, spooky season is upon us, and football is now in full swing, I think it's about time we get back into Jigsaw's game and revisit Saw 4. Despite Jigsaw's death and in order to save the lives of two of his colleagues, Lieutenant Daniel Rigg is forced to take part in a new game which promises to test him to the limit. Saw 4 is directed by Darren Lynn Boozman, written by Patrick Milton and Marcus Dunstan. Patrick Milton wrote the film Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and Marcus Dunstan worked on The Collector. It's also co-written by Thomas Fenton, who really doesn't have any notable writing credits outside of Saw 4. The film stars Tobin Bell as John Kramer, a.k.a. Jigsaw, Scott Patterson as Agent Peter Strom, Costas Mandalore as Agent Mark Hoffman, Lyric Bent as Lieutenant Daniel Rigg, and Betsy Russell as Jill Tuck. Oh boy, okay, we are really in the thick of it now. Saw 4 represented the first full-on swing into soap opera territory for the franchise. <laughs> Looking back on this movie, I specifically remember the insane number of new characters that they introduced in here, and the way that they retroactively ham-fisted them into the first two movies with insane backstory and the perspective that they tried to tell from John Kramer's perspective. I remember it just being extremely convoluted. I think that's in part due to the fact that they have new writers. This is the first film that doesn't include Leigh Whannell as one of the lead writers, so they got a couple new guys working on this for them. Now with the new writers and basically a whole new cast, since they pretty much killed everyone off in Saw 3. <laughs> Saw 4 was a blank slate with so much potential that tried its best to stay on the rails. I recall not liking the new characters as much as Gordon, Tap, Adam, Amanda, and I'll even give Lynn a little bit of a shout out in Saw 3. She was fine in that movie. But it has been a few years since I last watched it, and I was hoping that now that I'm a little bit more mature and more thoughtful... I would get a little bit more out of this movie, and that maybe it was going to change my mind on the review. One thing I did take with me heading into the review was the notion that there's no way anyone could be worse than slow-ass motherfucking Jeff in Saw 3. <laughs> so it's a very low bar, and I just kept thinking, oh please Saw 4, don't let me down, don't let me live with another slow-ass motherfucking Jeff. <laughs> But we'll see. We'll officially get into the review of Saw 4. As I did with my films last week, I'm going to go through important plot details and spoilers. Things I liked, things I didn't like. Then before I give you my score, I will tell you about three traps I liked, contrasted by three traps I didn't like. Well, first off with Saw 4, we get the most graphic autopsy ever put to film. In the first 10 minutes of the movie, we see... John Kramer's skull pulled over his face like it's a banana peel, and then his sternum gets opened up like a hot dog bun. <laughs> Ultimately, to reveal that there is a puzzle tape specifically targeted towards Detective Hoffman inside of his stomach. This movie really goes for it right off the bat. <laughs> I kind of appreciate how graphic the autopsy is. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in a movie in a very long time. <laughs> 
Well, we flash cut then to the mausoleum trap, which I'll get back to in a bit when I speak about the overall traps. And we have a strong opening to the film. Much stronger than seeing Detective Matthews smash his right foot in Saw 3. And I wasn't kidding when I said that this movie and franchise gets vastly more complicated in its narrative storytelling. The movie in particular juggles like four or five tests simultaneously while also diving into the history of John Kramer. There's a lot of plates that are spinning here, and I think for two new time writers, it may be a little bit too much for them to handle. So, our main central protagonist of the film is Detective Rigg, and we have Detective Rigg speed running his way through his tests in order to find Eric Matthews and Mark Hoffman. In the previous episode, I referred to Jeff as slow-ass motherfucking Jeff. Well, in this movie, we have fast-ass motherfucking Rig. <laughs> and on top of Rig's test, we also have the conclusion to Jeff's test from Saw 3. The movie also introduces two more important characters which will play bigger roles in sequential films, and that is Agent Strom and Agent Perez. Here they get a small sample of their tests to come later in the series, but they are pretty significant to this particular movie. On top of that all, we have a recurring test with another new character, a character by the name of Art Blank. No, not the Atlanta Falcons owner, although this one also blew a lead late in the game. <laughs> oh man. Now, I'm already kind of rambling on about all the multiple different storylines that are happening at the same time of this movie, but there's also another very important game going on subtly in the background, and that involves Jill Tuck, John Kramer's ex-wife. She's being interrogated by Agent Stram, and that interrogation scene plays out throughout the entire film as kind of a way for us to get some further backstory into the tragic history of John Kramer and his fallout with Jill Tuck. She's being interrogated by Strom as to clues to where Riggs' whereabouts are and how John came to create his traps. At first, I found this all to be really overwhelming and kind of extra, especially since the medical clinic flashbacks really did reek of soap opera tear acting. <laughs> As the movie moved along, I actually kind of came to appreciate the dive into John's history. It gives us more Tobin Bell screen time, which is always a good thing for these movies. The more Tobin Bell, the better. But sadly, I cannot help but find John to be sort of a Mr. Magoo tragedy. <laughs> it seemed like everything that could go wrong for him did. You know, he lost a kid, he got divorced, he got in a car accident, he was diagnosed with cancer, he was turned away from insurance coverage, then he got pried open like a coconut. <laughs> Poor John Kramer, man. He's he's such a Mr. Magoo character. It, it kind of sucks with all the bad things that happened to him in this franchise. <laughs> you kind of feel bad for Jigsaw, to be honest. Now, from a filmmaking standpoint, you can tell this is where the production value of the franchise cranked it up a notch. There are far more elaborate traps in this movie than any of the previous installments, including some odd editing choices to blend actions with transitions. There's one transition in particular that really caught me off guard, and that was in the sequence where Rig saves Brenda from the scalp trap. He has a fatal tussle with her where he throws her through a mirror. However, the editing style makes it feel like she's being thrown right into the interrogation room where Strom is interrogating Jill. It's kind of distracting and I didn't know what the hell they were going for there. It was just so out of left field and we'd never seen a transition like that in the Saw franchise. So the editing must have also went through a completely different crew of people also because that was just really jarring and kind of uncharacteristic for, for Saw. Thankfully, I don't think we see any more of those type of transitions later on in future installments, but that was just kind of weird. If you rewatch this movie, try to pay attention to that. It's the scene where Rig throws her through the mirror, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's such, a weird, such a weird transition. I don't know. I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> The, the juggling of the narratives just serves as a pseudo-launching point for the next installments of the series, and this movie really takes on a lot of pressure to deliver on not only the past characters, but also having to give us more to look forward to in the years to come. And the style of filmmaking can give you one of two impressions, really. It leaves more to be desired, or 
it leaves you disappointed in the lack of resolution in this movie. I know a lot of people complained about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because technically that movie is a part one and the end of that movie just makes you want more to happen. But the issue with that also means that there is no definitive conclusion to that film. You don't feel like there's a character arc because the character's arc is still being progressed. That will get fulfilled in a future installment and you kind of do feel that this way with some of the loose ends that they leave. So from the reveal that Saw 3 and Saw 4 were happening at the same time to Detective Hoffman being Jigsaw's second mentor, the writers took a lot of liberty riding around established truths about this world. I don't know where I sit with it. I think with a fresh set of eyes, I would see this movie with more optimism and excitement for what's to come. But knowing what's going to happen in future installments, it kind of makes me terribly sad on what they chose to do at the end of this movie in particular. Now, Rig isn't a bad character per se, but this ties into his decision at the end of the movie to rush into the doorway and he kills Eric Matthews in the most unnecessary way possible. It really does leave me with a sense of defeat, only because they could have used Donnie Wahlberg's acting chops for much more than what he was given here in this movie. And look, I didn't like Eric Matthews in Saw 2, but the lengths that Jigsaw and friends went to torture this guy was way too extra and out of pocket. (laughs) It also lends me to believe that the series forgot what its initial message was all about. To cherish your life when you succeed. Technically, Matthew survived his test. And he got out of the restroom. But by the end of Saw 4, they have him begging to die and hoping someone kills him. <laughs> so, I, I, I question their decision into bringing Detective Matthews back. If that was really only what they were going for. Just a completely cheap plot twist at the end. Now, Leigh Whannell and Darren Lynn Boozman had the right idea to bring Donnie Wahlberg back to finish Eric's story, but I think it was a truly undignified way for him to go out. Let's pour one out for Eric tonight and the rat friend that he made while he was eating gruel in the cellar. (laughs) Yeah, that shot was kind of (laughs) weird. So that is a basic rundown of Saw 4, and now for the moment you've been waiting for, the traps. One thing I noticed about this movie is that Lionsgate really wanted to zero in on having more multiplayer traps in this one. Nearly every puzzle in Saw 4 features a couple people. It adds complexity and a fun back and forth to the whole theme of the movie, but these right here are the three top traps from Saw 4. First off, we have the spike trap. In this trap, Morgan and her husband Rex are impaled to one another. The placement of the spikes in the areas of Morgan's body are specifically placed to avoid vital organs on her body, but they are in direct vital areas of Rex's body. And Morgan must save herself by removing the spikes, thus killing Rex in the process since the spikes are going through arteries and stuff. I find it incredibly simple, pretty clever, And I don't know how much longer Morgan survived after this, but it still gives me that Saw 1 independent film spirit. I really like this trap. Really basic, and it definitely seemed winnable. And then the second trap I want to talk about is the mausoleum trap. The way this movie starts. It's an excellent way to start the film. Art and Trevor are chained to a pulley system where each one has a key in the rear of their collar for the other person's freedom. The complicated matter of all this is that Art has his mouth shut, so he can't communicate to Trevor. And Trevor has his eyelids sewn shut, so he cannot see what Art is trying to relay to him. Ultimately, the game becomes a deadly game of -of tug-of-war. And they fight one another with weapons and axes and hammers. And ultimately, Art gets the better of Trevor, kills him, unlocks his chain, and moves on. My only gripe with this trap is that there is no jigsaw video or audio to preface the combatants. They just start their engines and fight. (laughs) But still, pretty cool. Pretty cool way to start the movie. And now we have my personal favorite trap of the film, the hotel trap. The hotel trap sees Rig force an unruly pervert into a bed where he must gouge out his own eyes or get ripped apart limb from limb. The morality of Rig doing this to Ivan is thrown out the window when we learn that Ivan is a serial rapist. There was something oddly gratifying about seeing his legs and arms slap across the hotel wall and I really dug it. This really does get back to the overall message of what Saw was originally intended for 
that these traps are supposed to be for immoral people to get a second chance on seeing how twisted and fucked up their lives are. And Ivan had no shot at this. He was not going to gouge out his own eyes, so therefore he gets ripped apart, and it's beautifully justified. Now overall, there were 10 traps in Saw 4. Here are the three I liked the least. The main one, Jeff's test from Saw 3, carries over into this movie. Slow-ass motherfucking Jeff's comeuppance comes near the end of the film when it's revealed that Agent Strom was led to the location of Saw 3. In their brief confrontation, Strom shoots Jeff down in the same medical office that he was locked inside of at the end of the last film. It's a fitting end for such a shitty character. No gratification whatsoever, but good riddance. Fuck slow-ass motherfucking Jeff. <laughs> the second one I want to talk about is the knife chair. This is technically the first trap John ever put a human being into, and it was for the crackhead that killed his unborn son Gideon, Cecil. Cecil meets a grisly death when he has to push his face through a grid of knives, but the issue is that the chair he was sitting in collapses, and Cecil is free despite not performing his test. Cecil only then gets killed because he falls into a cage of barbed wire trying to go after John. John juked him like a running back. Now, I know it was Jigsaw's first go, but for an engineer to rig his revenge trap with a Dollar General quality chair like that, it's a bit embarrassing. Come on, Jigsaw. <laughs> now, the other one I want to mention is the forensic bowcaster. You guys do not remember this because it's such a quick shot. The forensic bowcaster was thrown into the movie the same way that Perez's trap is uh, thrown into the movie as well. Both traps involve a detective accidentally arming a projectile that shoots them in the face. Now, the forensic bowcaster trap is basically just a crossbow that's laying down on the ground in the middle of the classroom crime scene from Morgan and Rex's test. And during the cleanup of the crime scene, one of the detectives accidentally triggers the crossbow and it shoots one of the other forensic scientists right in the face. It goes off accidentally, and they're killed for it. It's really kind of dumb, and it, I think it could have been left out of the movie entirely. It's just, why, why include that? That character meant nothing, and this trap didn't need to even go off in this scene. It's kind of weird. But at the same time, they kind of pull the same stunt off in the next cut, because after the forensic scientist gets killed, then it follows Perez and Strom as they go into the office of their detective agency. There's a Billy the Puppet doll sitting on a chair. And as the two agents get closer to it, Perez gets shotgun blasted in the face with a bunch of shrapnel and is taken to the hospital. There's no real way of winning this test. It's just an unprovoked attack, so to speak. And it could have costed Perez her life, but as we'll see in later films, Perez actually survives the shrapnel. If she would have died right then and there, I think this definitely would have been the worst test in the entire movie. I have to give Saw 4 credit though. It has so many quality traps. The batting average in this movie for traps I enjoyed is around the same that I felt for the first Saw. Narratively, the movie's kind of a mess. But I understand what they were going for here. This was to invest a little bit more into Jigsaw's backstory while also giving us a new antagonist for the franchise since Amanda and John are both dead. Overall, I would give Saw 4 three scalps out of five. Has a better protagonist, better traps, but questionable writing, acting, and editing. As I did with all the other previous films, I'm going to go into some filmmaking factoids for you before we head over to Saw 5. Now, the jarring transitions that I mentioned before were not done by editing in CGI, but instead they were done practically. I mentioned that one of the transitions literally looked like the victim was thrown through a glass mirror and we just end up in the same interrogation room that Jill and Strom are in. That's because the two sets were actually designed side by side and the actor being thrown through the glass actually did happen. And there was a camera that followed her through the mirror. So that transition was actually a real-life take, and it kind of gives me a little bit more respect for that transition, but I still think it's very jarring and kind of extra. We talked about the autopsy at the beginning of the movie. There was actually a real corner on set for that scene in particular to ensure that the scene was performed safely and accurately. And the Tobin Bell body cast that they used for that autopsy 
took over two weeks to construct. Honestly, looking back at this, that's amazing propsmanship right there. Tobin Bell's body cast is really well done. I was impressed by it. If you would have told me that Tobin Bell was just laying on a gurney with makeup, I would have believed you. That's how realistic the body cast looked in this, and that's impressive. I am really amazed by that. Now, even though producers wanted Donnie Wahlberg to reprise his role, his schedule made him unavailable throughout most of this film. His character was ultimately left off the cutting room floor. They didn't include him in the original script. However, after the shooting began, his schedule freed up, and the script was then rewritten to bring his character back into the movie. I kind of want to know what the original script had in mind if they had more time with Donnie Wahlberg. Would he have met the same ice block fate? We don't know. But what they gave us here does make a lot of sense that it seems kind of condensed and kind of shoehorned in. This is the first installment of the franchise that did not include a trap in the opening of the film. Instead, we open with the autopsy. Now, upon hiring the new writers to replace Leigh Whannell, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton were given a copy of what's called the Saw Bible. It's a written rule book documenting all the rules set in place from the previous films that contained guidelines for how the writers should follow Jigsaw's code of traps. I think they did a pretty good job of keeping it consistent, but as we'll see with the next movie, rules are meant to be broken and the next movie probably disobeys the Saw Bible more than any other film in the franchise. <laughs> Overall, I think Saw 4 improved on many areas where 2 and 3 stumbled, but I don't equate it on the same level as the first two movies. For that reason alone, I think Saw 4 is just kind of mid. So right now at this point, I would like to ask you guys to stand up, stretch your legs, perhaps grab a drink, and brace for the shit show that is Saw 5. <laughs> Let's let's get to the fucking movie. First of all, I want to apologize for the profanity that I'm probably going to be spewing out during this review. If Saw 4 was the shit-flavored appetizer for what we were gearing up for, Saw 5 would be the entree. Let's get into it. Now, following Jigsaw's grisly demise, Mark Hoffman is commended as a hero, but Agent Peter Strom is suspicious and delves into Hoffman's past. Meanwhile, another group of people are put through a series of gruesome tests. Saw 5 is directed by David Hackle, who has no other directing nods on his IMDb. He has just been known for being a production designer on Saw 4. It's written by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan again, featuring Tobin Bell as John Kramer, Costas Mandalore as Detective Hoffman, Scott Patterson as Agent Peter Strom, Betsy Russell as Jill Tuck, Julie Benz as Britt, and Megan Good as Luba. <sighs> Man, while I was young and stupid, even I knew Saw 5 was a real piece of shit. <laughs> I remember being so ridiculously bored and thoroughly frustrated at the convoluted storytelling that was going on here. Saw 5 was kind of where the fandom and popularity reached its pinnacle, but it also was kind of the turning point for me. It was where... I started to lose interest. And I think it might have been because of the popularity. Here is where we see more cameos from popular actors and celebrities. We see actors that we recognize. People like Megan Good, who was a singer-turned-actor known from Moesha and The Steve Harvey Show. And then Julie Benz, of course, who was hot off her role as Dexter Morgan's wife, Rita, in the hit Showtime show, Dexter. And we even see a young Greg Brick here. If you're a video game fan... Greg Brick is Joseph Seed from Far Cry 5. <laughs> that blew my mind when I first saw him. I was like, I recognize that guy. Let me take a look and see who he is. Checked his IMDb and sure enough, there it is, Far Cry 5. As a moviegoer, I was greatly disappointed in Saw 5 when I left the theater. Still with my emotional investment in the franchise, I stuck around a bit longer, but I knew that this movie was the one where the series was beginning to lose steam creatively. Watching it in 2023 was a much more excruciating process in my opinion. By now, that independent film feeling that we felt a long time ago with Saw 1 was long gone. Saw 5 heavily goes off the deep end narratively, 
by retconning a lot of loose ends and threads that were created in the original films. Threads such as, why did Jigsaw endanger Amanda in the house with the trap from Saw 2? How did John manage to kidnap Paul and put him into a barbed wire maze from the first movie? These are all questions that didn't need to be answered, but felt important enough for the new director and writers to address. Kind of a fucking waste of time in my opinion. All of these plot points get told through an outrageous series of flashbacks between Hoffman and John Kramer, but they're strangely narrated through the perspective of Agent Strom. Like, what the hell was the idea here? Does Strom have some psychic ability to look at a newspaper clipping and see Hoffman's life flash before his eyes? What the fuck is going on here? It, and it almost made me feel like, you know, that Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes film where he can kind of perceive things out in his mind before he actually does them. It kind of felt like that. It felt like Strom had this modern day Sherlock Holmes ability where he can look at an evidence page about uh, Hoffman's dead sister. And then all of a sudden he could recreate dialogue and scenes of Hoffman and Jigsaw getting along all of a sudden. It's egregious because it takes so much time out of the goddamn runtime of, of the movie. And I'm serious. This movie is less about the traps and more about Strom and Hoffman's cat and mouse. It's really insane. It's so boring to watch. And this movie really takes a dramatic turn away from the horror element that everyone loved about this franchise. Saw 5 feels more like a soap opera flashback than a horror film. Let's just put it that way. The Fatal 5 trial, it hardly feels like it's fleshed out at all. It almost seems like it was thrown into the movie to give the audience something to watch while the writers made up excuses for why Hoffman has gone bad and why Strom needs to be killed off. There was no payoff to any of this. Strom's investigation into Hoffman goes unfulfilled anyway because the writers just basically copy-pasted Danny Glover's character's obsession angle and threw it onto Agent Strom here. Except this time, they actually go through with killing Strom and defaming his decent detective work. This movie misses the entire point as to why the franchise caught on with so many people in the first place. People love the moral ambiguity and puzzle-solving element of the traps and the games. They do not want to see this CSI, NCIS spin-off that they decided to fucking shoehorn in here. It's an absolute joke. <laughs> They especially didn't want to see the moronic daytime Emmy caliber acting and plot that's on display here either. If the movie was an episode of a television series, people would call this the filler episode, where literally nothing happens, we learn a lot, but we also waste a lot of time. <laughs> this movie has a lot of things going on. And a really big MacGuffin that frustrated me when I first watched the movie in the theaters. And that MacGuffin is shown in the scene where Jill Tuck receives a box from John Kramer. It has no payoff in this film whatsoever. She basically goes into a lawyer's office. John Kramer left a tape for her that says that you are everything to me. What's inside this box is of grave importance. And then they both decide to fuck off for the rest of the film. There's no payoff whatsoever. She takes the box and leaves and then she's gone for the rest of the movie. It literally had me like Brad Pitt in the movie 7. What's in the box? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this this movie. I, I could probably go on another 10 minutes about all the stupid shit that's in here. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. Well, at least did the movie have good traps? I say no, not really. For the first time since Saw 1, Saw 5 features the least number of traps of any of the other movies. There are only 7 traps in this one, with majority of those coming from the same group of people that were randomly thrown into the story. And, and, and don't get me started on how much I checked out about the Fatal 5 story. That, that plot thread was completely stupid and had no relevance to what they were trying to say with Jigsaw and Hoffman at all. The narrative was that all five of these people contributed to the destruction and cover-up of a building, and it means absolutely fucking nothing in the overall grand scheme of things. It has no relevance to Jigsaw, or Hoffman, or the police investigation into Peter Strom. 
It's a really weak attempt to just shoehorn a few strangers in a room and tell the audience we should either care about them or despise them. Was there anything outside the traps that I liked? Not really. I do appreciate that the filmmakers meticulously recreated classic Saw scenes in order to retcon Hoffman into the story. It's not a simple pasting of Hoffman into the background of a shot. They actually gave Hoffman a lot of screen time with Kramer and in the development of the Saw 2 house. I thought that the Saw 2 house planning was actually the best scene in the entire movie. It's really cool how they brought back the original actors, had them lay on the ground, and proceeded to go on with retconning Hoffman into the story. It's interesting. I like that about the movie, but that's all the credit I give them for. But overall, it doesn't make the movie better. It's just a cool scene that they threw in here. It's a piece of corn in a massive turd. (laughs) Now, you see what I meant last week when I said that this seriously was going to get vastly more complicated and stupid? This is the movie that brings all of that to a head. There's a lack of traps, lack of cohesion, continuity problems, no characters to root for. Saw 5 is a giant mess, and it's the lowest rated movie that I've reviewed since Biodome. Saw 5 gets a 1 out of 5 pints of blood for me. This was a fucking disaster. (laughs) It was a chore to watch, a bore to watch, and even Costa's Mandalore's decent performance couldn't even save this train wreck. Saw 5 remains the second lowest rated Saw on Rotten Tomatoes for a reason. Boy, man, this movie just really pissed me off. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's calm down a bit. Let's get to the traps so we can move on with our day. Here are the three traps from Saw 5 that suck the least. (laughs) So the first trap that sucked the least was the Pints of Sacrifice trap. It's the finale to the movie where all five of the contestants must reach their hand into a saw blade in order to fill a tank that will unlock the door to their freedom. The tank fills with their blood. The only problem is that these fucking idiots took each other out one at a time, never listened to the rules, and now they had to divide ten pints of blood between five people into ten pints of blood between two people. We see the true brutality of the trap when Malik raises his arm and we see that he's sawed through his entire forearm. It's a cool looking trap, but knowing that this is designed for five people and seeing two people act it out, we know these people are pretty much doomed for anyway. The next one I want to talk about is the glass coffin. The other half to the final trap in the film. Strom finally locks down Hoffman's position, but then he is baited into the Gideon warehouse room where there's a glass coffin waiting for him. Here we get our first taste of Casas Mandalore's jigsaw voice as he tells Strom that he must climb inside the coffin to stand a chance at survival and that he must trust him. So naturally, what does Agent Strom do? After all the excellent detective work he's done, after all the research into jigsaw's traps, he refuses to get in the coffin and instead throws Hoffman in there. The coffin closes and then lowers and the big reveal shows that the room is going to close in and crush anything that isn't inside the coffin. Strom, now outside of the coffin, struggles to find a way out and is ultimately crushed to death. The death itself is extremely cool, but I couldn't help but feel like it paints Peter Strom as a complete moron. For all the amazing things he did as a detective, finding and narrowing down Hoffman as the main suspect for Jigsaw's work, he didn't once reach out to anyone else to help him. He he followed the whole Scooby-Doo point of, let's split up gang, but it's fucking ridiculous. When you're playing a dangerous game like this, why go it alone? It's a strange character choice, but I guess it had to happen for the franchise to continue. And the trap that sucked the least in this movie, and that is the pendulum trap. The movie is actually kind of bookended by good traps. To start the movie, we had the pendulum trap, and then at the end, we had the glass coffin. To start the movie, the pendulum trap was invented by Hoffman, and this supposedly took place before the events of Saw 1. I don't fucking know. The timeline gets so muddied by this movie. But essentially, Hoffman created this trap as a way of taking revenge on his sister's killer. The trap is very simple, with an easy win condition, and excellent visuals. It just gets knocked down a peg because it wasn't intended to be won. Hoffman rigged it purposely to kill Seth Baxter, so when Seth actually crushes his hands to get out of the trap, 
He's still killed by the pendulum anyway. And that's my biggest problem with Hoffman in these movies. He's now the antagonist, but instead of having that code like Jigsaw did, he's just going around killing people with like Jigsaw's methods of uh, rigging traps. It is just a basic serial killer movie at this point. Now let's talk about the three traps I didn't like. First of all, we have the ceiling jars. During the trial of the Fatal Five, the four remaining survivors have to break a dozen hanging mason jars in order to find the correct key for four chambers that will keep them free from an explosion. Charles ends up getting killed by the explosion because he attempts to assault one of the other participants instead of working with them. Everyone I know had the same reaction when they saw this scene. Why didn't they all just try to fit in one chamber? Or couldn't they just split up and have two people in a chamber each? The chambers can clearly fit more than one person, and the audience shouldn't be solving the puzzle way easier than the participants do. It's so obvious what the solution was. It's just so frustrating to watch them. The next trap was the electric tub. The theme of the Fatal Five's trial is that they have to work together as a team to solve the puzzle. The electric tub is another simple trap that could have been easily solved if one of the participants didn't just rush into assaulting the other people. In this scene, Megan Good's character, Luba, tries to pull a fast one on Ma- Malik by knocking him into the tub so that he can conduct all the voltage just on his own to open the next door. Instead, she gets stabbed in the neck by Brit and gets tossed in the tub. The trap is made worse by the fact that Megan Good's acting is utterly atrocious here. I swear, it, it does look like someone's first acting job. And then the next one is the shotgun chair. There weren't a lot of traps to pick from here because there were only seven traps in the entire movie, remember that. But the shotgun chair is basically just a flashback trap thrown into Hoffman's backstory. Here, John Kramer kidnaps Mark and interrogates him for the murder of Seth Baxter and framing it like a jigsaw trap. The shotgun chair has no real tangible solution since it's basically just John holding a shotgun to Hoffman's throat. Hoffman ultimately survives the test when he decides to embrace the shotgun and accept his responsibility in the murder of Seth Baxter. It's probably the best acted scene in the entire movie, but the trap itself is just basic. It's hardly even a trap, but it does count. It is on the Wikipedia. (laughs) And it makes me wonder, if Hoffman didn't lean into the barrel of the shotgun, would John have just gotten up and shot him in the face? (laughs) now it isn't on my list of good or bad but i did want to mention the cgi and the necktie trap it's utterly abysmal and hilarious looking back at it at the beginning of the fatal fives trial there's a necktie trap where all five contestants get pulled back by a rig and unless they can unlock themselves within the 60 second timer they are going to get pulled into a saw blade and get decapitated ashley gets decapitated when her necktie pulls her into that blade And the sight of her head rolling off the blade looks like it was rendered in 1998 alongside Toy Story 1. It's hilarious, and you should probably look at it on YouTube. (laughs) You'll see what I mean. So, there we have it. There's my review of Saw 5. I painstakingly watched this movie because I love each and every one of you. I'm hoping that we can only go up from here, but we'll see. Of course, before we move on to Saw 6, let's get to the factoids of Saw 5. Now, the first factoid I have is that Scott Patterson, who plays Strom, was completely uncomfortable with the water cube trap. The initial testing of the trap did not go well and nearly drowned him. Patterson still decided to stick it out, though. Kudos to him. He ended up performing the trap himself without the need of a stunt double. And I actually kind of appreciate that, so so good on Scott Patterson. I loved you in Little Big League, by the way. (laughs) Now, the next factoid... Danny Glover was actually set to reprise his role as Detective Tap in the flashbacks of this movie, but ultimately he had to bow out due to scheduling conflicts. I mentioned that Danny Glover's character actually lived past the events of Saw 1 in Saw the video game. Fun fact, in this movie, they retcon the video game and say that Detective Tap actually did die from the events of Saw 1. So it's officially confirmed Detective Tap is dead. Pour one out for the homie Danny Glover. (laughs) This is a really questionable factoid I have for you guys, and it kind of brings up a lot of OSHA rules. Apparently, 
the filmmakers of this movie, David Hackle, used real animal blood when performing the Pints of Sacrifice trap. The decision led to a rancid smell on the set, which ultimately led to director David Hackle resigning that he will never use it ever again for a prop. Real animal blood is a bad idea? No, you think? Fucking idiot. (laughs) Now, screenwriters Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton make a cameo in this film. They appear in a shot where Hoffman is entering an elevator while they are exiting the elevator. And the last factoid of Saw 5. Saw 5 is the first sequel in the Saw franchise to not open in first place on opening weekend at the U.S. box office. I think at this point everyone was already getting their ass full of Saw and Saw 5 was the tipping point. Audiences didn't come out for it that weekend and it was not good. It was not good at all. I fully believe that this movie kind of belongs in a Walmart $2 bin. It's incredibly boring, dull, it's poorly acted. It's likely the worst film in the franchise. I'm going to hold off that judgment until I watch Saw 7, Jigsaw, and Spiral from the Book of Saw before I give it that claim. But so far, Saw 5 is the worst movie of the marathon. Now sadly, Saw 5 brought down my entire expectations for the remaining films of our Saw-tember marathon. That is, unless Saw 6 returns to form. Let's get to our last movie of the week and find out. In Saw 6, Agent Strom is dead, and FBI agent Erickson draws nearer to Hoffman. Meanwhile, a pair of insurance executives find themselves in another game set by Jigsaw. Saw 6 is directed by Kevin Grutert, also director of Jezebel and Visions, and it's written by, once again, Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. The film stars Tobin Bell as Jigsaw, Costas Mandalore as Mark Hoffman, Betsy Russell as Jill Tuck, Peter Outerbridge as William, Mark Ralston as Agent Erickson and his Bluetooth earpiece, (laughs) Shawnee Smith as Amanda, and a pile of meat as Agent Strom. (laughs) Saw 6 was the final film in the franchise that I watched in a movie theater, and I recall primarily enjoying it, but I was feeling a bit burned out by the time we got to this movie in the series. This movie had its handful with having to close off plot threads left open by Saw 5 while also bringing the movies back to their star attraction, The Traps. I'm not gonna lie, I forgot almost the entire movie. (laughs) Throughout many of the scenes here, it felt like I was almost like I was watching an entirely new film, which actually kind of excites me because Saw 6 marks a point in our Sawtember marathon where the material began to feel fresh and new. And I'm happy to state that Saw 6 is a much better film than Saw 5. It improves in the most important areas of storytelling by having a series of traps that are relevant to the central story they're trying to tell here. William's trial has direct ties to the medical fallout of John's cancer prognosis. As a trap participant, we finally get a protagonist, which I use the word lightly, that is someone that we can dislike but root for as the game progresses. And unlike the Fatal Five, Rig, and Eric Matthews, William actually develops as a character throughout the movie. He learns a lesson that Jigsaw was trying to teach him, but his comeuppance is ultimately out of his control. In a clever and appropriate twist of fate for William, his life is ultimately decided by the people that he has taken pleasure in declining health care for. We'll talk about that more in a bit, but man was his death incredibly graphic and grotesque. In this movie, we finally see the connection between Jigsaw and his two accomplices, Amanda and Hoffman. Their budding rivalry creates an underlying tension that is strewn across every movie in the franchise thus far. We get payoffs to questions that were brought up from Saw 3, 4, and especially those that were brought up in Saw 5. Some of those questions include... What was in the letter that caused Amanda to kill Lynn in Saw 3? And of course, in Saw 5, what's in the box? (laughs) Also, what does a human body look like after it's been smushed? (laughs) And of course, what the hell happened to Agent Perez in Saw 4? I think Dunstan and Melton did a fine job of refraining from muddying the Saw timeline any further, and they gave us a clear timeline of events in this movie. 
Each callback to previous movies is done with intention, and they don't feel horribly ham-fisted or retconned in. The writing is dramatically improved here, but is it great? Not really, but at least it fits better than the past two installments, and you can tell they took a lot of criticism to heart when they made this movie. Now besides William's trial, the film is all about Hoffman. In this movie, Hoffman is finally discovered to be Jigsaw's successor. Not only is he under the microscope from the FBI, but he is also being tested by John Kramer from Beyond the Grave. And before we get to Hoffman's final test, Hoffman goes full-on Rambo on the FBI agents. I mean, he straight-up kills Perez, Erickson, and even uses a lab assistant as a meat shield. (laughs) The guy's basically Terminator at this point. He has eliminated all the loose ends that he can that tie him to Jigsaw. That is, until Jill Tuck carries out John's final will, and we finally see what's inside the random box that was given to her in Saw 5. And what was in that box was a new version of the reverse bear trap. The trap was a final test set in motion to make Hoffman pay for his path of destruction. There's no win condition or tape or anything for Hoffman. He is just left to die sitting in that chair. However, the big plot twist of the entire movie, Hoffman uses his survival instincts to jam the bear trap between a couple bars, therefore blocking the trap from ripping apart his mouth, and he then frees himself from the device. Holy shit, it was such a big-brained moment. (laughs) I remember seeing this in the movie, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck? That was the most insane thing I've ever seen in a Saw movie. Holy crap. And for a character that I mostly have disliked up until this point, I gotta say... That was extremely clever and an exciting way to end the movie for Hoffman. Really fucking cool what they did there. (laughs) It makes Hoffman feel like he's a cockroach, man. He just refuses to get captured or killed. (laughs) Now this finale actually makes me more incredibly excited for next week's episode. I forgot a lot of important details from Saw 6, and I certainly don't remember anything from Saw the final chapter outside of Chester Bennington, but this movie really laid the groundwork and made me excited to watch Saw the final chapter almost immediately after I finished watching it. Before I rattle off the traps of Saw 6, I do want to mention the stylistic way that the movie is shot. Unlike the many movies that came before it, Saw 6 really looks and feels like it's a police procedural now. The atmospheric tone of the original is long gone. The movie almost has no horror elements anymore, thanks in part to them shifting directors for the third consecutive movie. It's full of bright lighting, the set designs look like they're ripped straight from a multi-camera sitcom, and the camera work is identical to the kind of cinematography that you see in like Days of Our Lives. (laughs) It very much is like a soap opera with people getting killed. It's become clear at this point that Lionsgate was scraping the bottom of the barrel for horror directors to carry on the franchise, and this movie has probably the least discernible aesthetic of them all. It's a highly forgettable-looking installment, only because it's not as gritty. It's, it's a little bit more clean in its visual representation. If there was a strength to Kevin Grutert's visual identity, it would be the presentation of the traps, at least. So here... Let's take a look at what Saw 6 had in store for us. These are my three favorite Saw 6 traps, starting with the gallows. Now this trap is pretty fucking sick in the way it's staged and presented. William's trial has taken place in an abandoned animal habitat, and here we have Addie and Alan, two assistants for his insurance company, and they're strung up by their necks using barbed wire. William must hold on to two handles to prevent them from falling and being killed, until he must decide to let one live and the other one die. What I really liked about this one was the use of Billy the puppet. Once William takes the handles, a spotlight hits Billy and he swings straight up at the glass. It's pretty cool looking. And then, once the tape is played, Billy is then pulled upwards and ascends out of frame. It feels really theatrical and cool looking, almost like you're watching a stage play out in front of William. And the same effect actually occurs when William decides to kill Alan. Alan gets his neck snapped, and the barbed wire lacerates his throat, but Alan is also slung right to the front of the glass where William is, and then, just like Billy ascended out of frame, so does Alan's corpse. 
The Gallows is really underappreciated in terms of Saw Traps. I really like this one. It was cool. And it also plays into the idea of William being the judge, jury, and executioner of people's health in their health care forms and him now actually having to physically see the choice between letting one person live and letting one person die. The second trap I want to bring up is the shotgun carousel. This trap was heavily marketed in the posters and trailers for the film. William's best six employees are strapped to a carousel that faces a fully loaded shotgun. Each person is turned towards the gun and William must decide to only spare two of them. And to spare them, he must place his hand in a box to be stabbed and then the live round of the shotgun shoots into the air instead of at the victim. The aesthetic of the participants being trapped here is really cool looking. As they are spun around, each personality kind of turns on one another in a desperate act to appeal to William's humanity. It's a dynamic that works much better than Saw 5's Fatal 5 trial, since each of these people are technically friends from work. And what I would call one of my favorite traps in the entire series, the Steam Maze Trap. This trap blew me away. And I know it's not a fan favorite or a staple, but this trap is so simple, it's so effective, and it calls back to earlier movies with its climactic finish. William is looking down on his office piece, Debbie, as she is trapped in a maze of steam pipes. Debbie not only faces the dangers of the steam, but she also has a crossbow strapped to her chest that will impale her skull if she can't navigate the maze in two minutes and get the key. And William, from up top, has to help Debbie find her way through the maze while closing the steam pipes for her and clearing the path. The issue is that for each pipe he closes, one opens up on him. It's a cooperative puzzle that requires a lot of coordination and self-sacrificing. I looked at this trap as if it was a Destiny video game raid. So much coordination and communication is key here. If the maze itself wasn't cool enough, the finish to the trap adds a whole new wrinkle to it. Debbie isn't just given the key to the crossbow straight up. She learns that she has to cut it out of William. Now that she has a saw blade in her hand, her and William kind of go at it for her to try and get that key with the remaining 15 seconds on the clock. This is the kind of shit I want in my Saw movies. A puzzle that isn't gratuitously gory, but it also expends a lot of fast, critical thinking in a grave situation. It may be my favorite trap of all time. This one is really fucking cool, and I can't believe I forgot about this. This is awesome. Like, you guys should at least watch this trap on YouTube if you're not willing to watch the entire Saw 6 film. Man, this movie had some really cool traps. But, like the other movies, there are a couple duds, and here are the ones that didn't work for me. The first one that didn't work for me was the Oxygen Crusher. It's the first obstacle in William's trial, and it's a device that straps William and the insurance company's janitor, Hank, against one another. The person who can hold their breath the longest lives, as each person will have their chest crushed in every time they take a breath. The reason I don't like this trap as much is because Hank doesn't really deserve to be in the trap. His audio tape says that he belongs here because he smokes cigarettes or something. This leads him to having a short lung capacity and giving him a clear disadvantage in the competition. So Hank is basically left for dead right from the start. It's pretty lame, although I do like the visual of Hank's chest exploding. Now the other one I didn't like was Pound of Flesh. In 2008, there was an MTV reality show called Scream Queens. It was a reality competition with a bunch of actresses that would have them compete in various different obstacles and challenges. The winner of Scream Queens would end up earning a role in this movie in particular. And this is the scene that they use that competition's champion for. Saw 6 begins with the Scream Queen, Tanedra Howard, playing Simone. She's pitted up against one of her company co-workers, Eddie. Eddie and Simone must chop their body up and deposit pounds of flesh onto a scale. The person with the heaviest amount of meat deposited will have their headpiece disarmed. Between this and the mausoleum trap from Saw 4, we really began seeing competition traps become the future of the franchise. And the Pound of Flesh trap, it isn't terrible, it's just forgettable. And that's all I had for traps I disliked. Saw 6 was actually really good in that department. 
There were two or three other traps that I didn't mention that were great, but not notable enough to be listed as my favorites. There's the Acid Room Trap, which nearly made the cut in my favorites, to be honest. It results in William getting injected with acid, and the shot of him melting away is bloody glorious. It is so gross and painful and amazing looking. I liked the practical effects of seeing his body part just kind of melt because of acid. And then, of course, the other one was Hoffman's Bear Trap, which we mentioned before. I enjoyed Saw 6 quite a bit. Were it not for the amateurish filmmaking in the scenes that weren't involving the traps, I think Saw 6 would be regarded with Saw 1 and 2 as my personal top 3. I would give Saw 6 3.5 pounds of flesh out of 5. Now with the end of Saw 6, we are officially over the hump for September. We have Saw the Final Chapter, Jigsaw, and Spiral left to go before the release of Saw 10. It's time to get to the final filmmaking factoids of the episode before we call it a day. And let's start off with the first filmmaking factoid. A week before filming, director Kevin Grutert was told that the film was going to be post-converted to 3D to capitalize on the trend at the time. Grutert was so displeased with the studio's decision and told them that he never storyboarded this movie for that kind of filmmaking. Therefore, 3D was scrapped for Saw 6 and shoehorned into Saw the final chapter. Really good of him to stand his ground though. I respect that. Saw 6, sadly, was the lowest grossing Saw film in the franchise. It performed so poorly that the studio had to cut plans for Saw the final chapter to be split into a two-part finale. So instead, Saw the final chapter was a standalone film. Now this one kind of caught me by surprise. But this is the first installment of the franchise where Billy the Puppet appears in person to deliver the rules of the game, rather than just giving them a warning or a congratulations message. And I hinted about it earlier. I really liked the way they used Billy the Puppet in this movie. It was, it was fucking cool. And to that effect, this is the first movie where Jigsaw appears on screen to deliver the rules of a game. Because prior to this, remember, no one knew who John Kramer was. No one knew the identity of the Jigsaw traps because, let's face it, John was still hiding from the police. But in this movie, we see that he actually recorded a video for William prior to his test, actually giving William a face to the Jigsaw persona. And I think it's because Jigsaw knew William wasn't going to survive this test. (laughs) There's a standout moment in the middle of the movie for me that really goes unrecognized. In the middle of the movie, John is seen in a flashback talking to William in his insurance office. And in the office, William has a fish tank full of piranha. And John actually has this pretty subtly hilarious quote where he looks at the fish tank and he just says, Piranha. Or something like that. It's really funny and kind of out of character for him, but I kind of like it. But did you know the fish tank in William's office was full of actual real piranha? When Jigsaw notices them during his visit to the office, he finds their appearance amusing, and this may allude to the fact that piranha are predators known for viciously preying on their unsuspecting animals, and sometimes even on each other when food supply is low. From Jigsaw's point of view, it's a fitting metaphor for William's insurance company. Really neat factoid right there. I like that. Now, the final factoid of the day, and definitely my favorite, In the early planning stages of Saw 6, one discarded story idea had Detective Hoffman taking on the Mafia. (laughs) Hey, Tony, uh, get a load of this guy. He's like dressed up in a pig mask or something. He wants to come down here and he wants to like throw away my gabagool or something. Let's get him. I just want to imagine a movie where Agent Hoffman takes on the Mafia (laughs) single-handedly. It's just so funny to me. (laughs) But that is it. What a way to end the episode. And with that, we are finally in the home stretch of Saw Timber. Once again, I want to extend my extreme gratitude to each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to the show. I'm having a blast revisiting these movies. Next week, I'll be watching Jigsaw and Spiral from the Book of Saw for the first time ever. So our episode will be a must listen. What did you think of the Hoffman era of Saw? 
Let me know in the comments on YouTube or message me on social media. On Twitter or X, you can follow me at GilX87. On Instagram and threads, my handle is Gilly087. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube so you don't miss an episode. And tell a friend about the show. I want to grow a community of film lovers and make this truly special. I will likely create social pages specifically for the show in the near future, so expect an announcement coming up here pretty soon. We will be back next week for September Part 3. I'm Gil Garcia, and I recommend that you go catch a movie.